Welcome to the Bikes and Podcast. You may not be surprised to learn that this is a podcast about bicycles. If you're on the hunt for people talking about the Tour de France or the latest shock technology, however, you are in the wrong place, although we rather hope you stick around. This show is about the people that have stories to tell relating to their own experiences, great causes and events to promote, but all centered around the bicycle. Bikes and beer, bikes and the Rwandan cycling team, bikes and film, to name but a few of the conversations we have had. You can find our website at bikesand.net, our Twitter feed at mybikesand, and our Instagram feed is bikes.and. If you have a bike story to tell and you'd like to be on the podcast, click on the Contact Us link in the navbar of the bikesand.net website. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Bikes and Podcast and that you have a great ride. Welcome to episode 23, Bikes and People for Bikes. Boulder is known for three things. Many people here own a Subaru. Seriously, one in three people own one. Jen, do you own one? I did for 11 years. Okay. Uh, being the home of Mork and Mindy, look it up, millennials, and being one of the epicenters of cycling culture in the USA. Oh, and a bunch of sandal-wearing people who love to eat granola. No stereotyping on this show. I promise. It's also the headquarters of People for Bikes, and that is where today's podcast is being recorded. For those of us who like to ride bikes, whether that be for community commuting to work, riding with the kids to the park, trying to get king or queen of the mountain on that 7% bastard of a hill, or riding some sweet single track, People for Bikes have your back. Visiting their website, peopleforbikes.org, will show you that 1.2 million people have registered with them. This podcast talks about those people who are not the shaved-legged, lycra-clad, 1% uber-athletes, and that is precisely who People for Bikes represents. Over the years, they have spent more than $30 million to make bicycling better. They've invested $2.1 million in community bicycling projects and leveraged more than $654 million in federal, state, and private funding. They have contributed millions to national groups and programs like the Safe Routes to School National Partnership, the League of American Bicyclists, and the International Mountain Biking Association, also known as IMBA. See episode 14 for how one of their chapters, COMBA, Colorado Mountain Biking Association, also impacted local trails. They ensure safer places to ride for both children and adults. Federal investment in bicycling has quadrupled since they've been on the scene. They provide a unified front for advocating for bicycling on a national level and the ability to support local efforts through their financial, community, and communication resource. Joining me today is Jen Dice, PFB's Vice President of Business Network and Government Relations. Jen is a tireless crusader for bike advocacy, equally at home riding the Ledva 100, a future podcast episode, and navigating the halls of government in D.C. She also happens to be the driving force behind the Draft Meetup, a fast-paced hour of ideas, entrepreneurs, and bikes to capture some of the exciting things happening in your city. She actually introduced me to Ryan O'Donoghue from First Descents, the subject of episode 21. So, with all that being said, Jen Dice, welcome to the Bikes and Podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, I hope most of that was right. 
It was. It was great. It was. I, learned, I even learned something. <laughs> That's good. I'm pleased that you did. Um, you and I have known each other for a number of years now, actually. Um, but would you like to introduce yourself to the show's listeners? Who Who is Jen Dice? Sure. Uh, my name is Jen Dice. I've been working at People for Bikes for a little over four years. And I help run the business network of People for Bikes. So we um, organize the bike industry and empower the bike industry to be more active at in Congress, at the state and local level, um, and really to show the jobs, the economic development, the communities we improve through the bicycle. Thank you very much. And um, in terms of what you like to do on a bike, how, how long have you been riding bicycles? I have been riding bikes since 2000, when it's, it's not a very pretty story, or uh, I should say, I've been riding bikes since 2000. It's kind of an embarrassing story in that I had been dating this guy for about three years and we broke up and I, and it was January and I needed a goal. And so I said, I kind of like this mountain bike thing. I'll sign up for the Leadville 100 as this way of getting over this guy that I'd broken up with. And fear said is a great no motivator. I know. No one ever. It was so dumb. <laughs> so it's January. So I sign up for the Leadville 100. You know, it's eight months away. I've got eight months to train. And now I'm scared because it was a really hard race and it was my first race ever. And so in those eight months, I just absolutely fell in love with mountain biking mm -hmm. and fell in love with the race and the people. And, um, you know, shortly thereafter, I found out about a job lobbying for mountain biking. So, you know, and I ultimately met my husband at the Lidville 100. So it was really been a beautiful 14 year relationship with that race. But I originally signed up just out of I needed a goal in 2000. And that was my goal. Yeah. How many times have you done it? 14. Yeah, a that's, lot. That's insane. <laughs> Did you do it just just gone? The last one? No, my husband did, though. Actually, mm -hmm. he went back and had his second fastest time ever. So I was in the position of crewing. We had eight racers out there that day. We crewed for all eight of them and threw one great party at the end of it. So There you go. Um, for those of you who don't know what the Leadville 100 is, can you help everyone explain that torture fest that you it's put It's amazing. On? It's the greatest torture suffer fest ever. So it is in Leadville. It's a, actually a 104-mile mountain bike race all above 10,000 feet, actually above 10,200 feet, and it goes to like 12.4. And, you know, 104 miles, I think somewhere around 12 to 14,000 feet of climbing. And the Leadville community is truly amazing. It's a community that is economically um, underprivileged. It's been economically depressed for many years since the mine left town. And mm -hmm. so this town has turned itself around through endurance mountain biking, endurance running, and high-performance sports. Mm -hmm. In Lifetime Fitness bought the race a number of years ago and have just added lighter fluid to it in every aspect. They've done an amazing job, and they have a whole event series leading up to Leadville. Yes, also home of the Golden Burrow, yeah. the <laughs> finest breakfast in Colorado. <laughs> uh, sure. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> um, as, I, as I mentioned in my introduction, you've got to know D.C. pretty well um, in this time. What, what do you tell our elected representatives about cyclists and the benefit of investing in cycling infrastructure when you talk to them? Sure. I talk about the power of the bike industry. We're an $88 billion industry. We push... $88 billion into the U.S. economy. We employ 780,000 jobs, about 12 million in state and local taxes. And in most communities, the bike industry from bikes, apparel, accessories, tourism, recreation, events, media, 
we're a powerhouse. And so we really lead with the voice of business and industry so that when elected officials make a decision as it pertains to bikes, um, they know that there's a constituency back at home that really cares a lot about how they vote. Yeah. So we really want to make the connection with elected officials, not just in Congress, but also at the state capitol, your local mayor, your county commissioners, et cetera, that the bike industry and all that it entails is a pretty powerful, important thing in their community. Yeah, absolutely. But needless to say, maybe the political landscape <laughs> has changed just a tad since the last election. How is that landscape affecting the world of cycling with regards to federal and state funding for cycling infrastructure and cycling projects and the mission of People for Bikes? Should we do the half is glass, or what is it? The glass is half yeah. full or the glass is half empty? I don't Which know. one do you want? Okay. Uh, I, that's, I don't know. Okay, let's we'll do, do the half full half because full. let's be positive, let's be optimistic. Yeah. So there's never been a greater time at the state and local level because, in fact, last November, the 2016 ballot – People for Bikes actively lobbied 22 ballot initiatives and helped with local advocacy groups. We passed $4.7 billion more in state and local taxes for dedicated bike and pedestrian funding. I mean, $4.7 billion for bike projects is a lot of money because bike projects are pretty cheap. So at the local level, you know, we meet mayors all the time that are talking about the bike sharing systems that they're putting in, or we meet community leaders that just got on electric bikes. So it's... We also know that in cities, participation in bicycling has gone through the roof in the 50 largest cities in the United States. So at the state and local level, glass is more than half full, super exciting time to see bikes on the rise. On the federal level, as you can imagine, not so hot. Um, and the Trump administration zeroed out the Tiger Grants Program, and that's a pretty important program to bikes. It builds big multimodal bike projects like the Razorback Greenway in Arkansas or the um, Indianapolis Cultural Trail or the Atlanta Beltline Trail. So these are great big multimodal projects that the Trump administration had zeroed out. Mm -hmm. The House of the Representatives actually did the same thing. The Senate side, fortunately, we have great bipartisan champions that funded it at $550 million. So we're hopeful that when the House and the Senate get together, you know how a bill becomes law, um, when they reconcile it, we hope Tiger will prevail. We also had an amendment last week, actually, that was particularly damaging that would rescind money from states at a disproportionate level that would affect bike pass. And that's a lot of words to basically say that bike pass uh, take some time to build. And if, commi if communities are counting on federal funding going in their direction to help build bike paths, bike lanes, single track trails, bike parks. They want to make sure that that money coming from Congress is a steady stream and that it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. And so last week, the House passed this amendment that could be pretty damaging to state and local ability to get bike projects on the ground. Fortunately, again, we have champions on the Senate side. They're going to go to bat for us, and we hope to be able to save that before the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So um, you've, you've mentioned uh, your conversations with the elected leaders of this land, mm -hmm. but what about the grassroots people who really want to, what should they be doing in terms of their elected representatives? How, sh how can they start to enforce change here? First, we would love for them to join People for Bikes. We have 1.25 million members. In Colorado here, we have 95,000 members. It's free. It's easy. All we want is your name, your email address, and your zip code. Because what will happen is we will turn back around and say, this November, for example, in Colorado, there's a ballot initiative on the Denver ballot that could be 
tens of millions of dollars for bike projects and build out the Denver bicycle master plan in like five to 10 years, not 45 years. And so we'll go back to our members and say, it is critical that you vote. And this is going to change your life for bicycling. Mm -hmm. So what we want folks at the grassroots level, it's not a heavy lift. It's really easy. Join people for bikes and then watch for our action alerts when we ask them to jump into action. Mm -hmm. Because we'll go back to our members and all states for any kind of opportunities for new biking, whether it's a protected bike lane, a bike park, access to a beautiful area, or it's a threat when people are pulling out um, something that we fought dearly for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always believed, uh, Jen, you know, that on, on the, at the high level, it's just a bicycle. But when you think of all the benefits that come, I mean, there's a long list of that. Um, everything from fitness to getting cars off the road to reducing carbon footprint for transport in third world countries that don't have access to a car. It's a long, long list. But I would have thought that one of the biggest benefits to a city that's or a town that's considering bicycle infrastructure, that a bicycle is a great way to help the local economy. Um, through taxes and just regrowth of a specific area. Can you talk to any examples of where that has really, where the bicycle has really ch turned around the fortunes of a specific uh, area within a city? Well, we have dozens of examples on our website for sure. Uh, one that just quick leaps to mind that is one of my favorite communities to visit is Bentonville, Arkansas and Northwest Arkansas. It's been amazing over the last decade what they've been doing to attract business professional development, retain the employees they have. As you probably know, Walmart is the biggest employer in that community. And Walmart executives who are in charge of global talent want to attract the best and the brightest to Northwest Arkansas. And the way that they're doing it, um, the Walton Family Foundation is doing it through trails, mm -hmm. mountain biking, and outdoor lifestyle. That's really been the backbone of attracting new business, keeping young professionals, growing the businesses that they have, and becoming like a global leader in bikes. Mm -hmm. A lot of Western U.S. cities are doing the same thing in the boom and bust cycle of resource extraction. So when the timber industry leaves town or natural gas or oil and gas leaves town. Those, a lot of small rural recreational communities in the West have turned to trails tourism and economic development as a driver, put in a mountain bike festival, put in a um, system of single track trails, uh, have a Grand Fondo road bike ride. It's really helping revitalize um, a number of communities across the U.S. Yep, Absolutely. So um, one uh, other thing about Boulder is that um, actually, going back to my introduction, 1% uh, of the Uber athletes do live, do live here, um, and yet PFB's mission is to support the interests of the other 99%. Do you ever see conflict with that? Hmm. Good question. Not really in that People for Bikes was formed by the biggest suppliers, bike suppliers in the United States in 1999. And they, although they were fierce competitors and they sell to the enthusiast bicyclist, you know, company X wants to sell a $7,000 road bike to whoever, but really they came together to form our nonprofit and put competition aside, put sales aside and said, 
we want to grow bicycling in America. We want People for Bikes, it was then named Bikes Belong, to be the umbrella organization for all things bicycling to grow the pie for everybody, to grow bicycling for everyone. Because they knew that long list of benefits that you just rattled off. They're like, we're going to come together, put competition aside, and really um, get more people into the sport. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a $50 bike you buy at Walmart or it's a performance bike you buy at an independent bicycle dealer. Um, at one point, uh, there was a, a great rider in this country called Lance Armstrong. Uh, and Lance, uh, I think, had a huge uh, impact on the number of people who got into cycling. Um, that, those days are gone. Um, how has that affected the, you know, the, the world of bicycling? And how can the world of bicycling uh, replace that vacuum that's been left? You're right, and that's something that we talk frequently about, how the Lance effect definitely grew performance road bike enthusiasts. And it would be exciting to see a, the next young um, pro cyclist to rip it up on the global pro cycling circuit and to have people um, really look at he or she and how they're um, – being a pro cyclist inspires more people to get into the sport. We would love that to happen again. But fortunately, bicycling is so diverse that there's a pretty wide spectrum of people that get into biking in all avenues. You know, there's amazing uh, BMX, crit, cyclocross, you know, enduro. We did an event on Sunday in Golden, and it was so fun because it was about the community and the people. It wasn't necessarily about, like, who's the fastest guy or, or woman at the front of the pack. Is that uh, the Gideon? Yeah, nice. it was so fun. Yeah. It was really fun. Mm -hmm. We actually, we did a race on Saturday too in Breckenridge called the Fall Classic. Same thing, you know, you think that racing, you know, people would like to say that because there's no Lance Armstrong right now, that racing is dead. And, you know, on Saturday we showed up for a race with 600 people. On Sunday we were at a race with 700 people. I mean, people love the support and they're looking for opportunities to get out there. And what we're seeing arise in is the non-competitive races. So the family-friendly, the Grand Fondos, the Cyclovias, when they close down a street and families and kids and communities go, come out and embrace an area that they don't necessarily bicycle right. as much in. Mm -hmm. So the community rides, uh, Denver, you know, cruiser ride has, you know, traditionally thousands of people. The LA Cyclovia has 150,000 people that shows, show up at those events. The last one in Atlanta had like 45,000 people. So it's really exciting to see these community cycling events people? in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, they're, it's pretty nuts. That's incredible. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. And let me fact check that one before that one makes the final cut too. But <laughs> I know at least three of them had 50,000, so right, well, it should be safe. Um, big, hairy, audacious goal, BHAG, Ooh. is a long-term goal that changes the very nature of a business's existence. Uh, I looked that up. Uh, what would you say is People for Bikes BHAG? I'm glad we can edit out this silence. Um, or not. I think it adds to the drama. No, no, no. Uh, well, the problem is, is I, I represent one department. Uh -huh. So mine is government relations and the bike industry. Uh -huh. But the overall organization, you know, one of our – the overall – so I was trying to decide answer it for my department or answer it for people for bikes. Mm -hmm. So um, overall – we're really excited about our city rating systems. Mm -hmm. We're going to launch it in the spring. And our BHAG, as it relates to places for bikes and how your city ranks as a good place to bike, uh, 
we have a five-star rating system that your city will be able to look at their ranking. Are they a three-star? Are they a four-star? What is it that they're good at? Where are the areas they can improve? So as you can imagine, it's a dashboard, and the city will be able to look at how's their safety rating? How's their network connectivity? Are there recreational places for people to bike? Mm -hmm. Are people going from A to B in a safe way? So that cities can truly see in a data-driven scenario how they can improve cycling for their residents. Because in the past, there's been no data-driven system to really rank communities and, and to, to help measure. them. And to measure them, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that they can specifically see how to improve and vie for a five-star bicycling community in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that our BHAG is we're so excited to be able to launch this spring how to rate all cities in America ultimately and how cities can specifically improve their network connectivity so that you can ride to your mountain bike ride, you can ride to work, you can ride to school, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's a bit like the, I don't know who rates the rivers of Colorado, but I know there's gold water metal, which has to meet a certain number of standards. Yeah. It's exactly the same for cities and their bicycle infrastructure and communication. That's exactly it. There's actually 12 different measurements that go into the five-star rating system for what a city is rated. So mm. these 12 different metrics behind the scenes have different aspects that roll up to how what what is a city as its moment in time, how it's doing for cycling, and then specifically how it can improve. Yeah, and um, we think that this new data tool that a team of super smart people here, at People for Bikes, created will absolutely be a game changer because you know what gets measured, what gets done, and for the first time in America, we're going to have a specific measurement system to truly move the needle for cycling. So when you talked about super smart people, you're talking about Somebody that we all know yeah, who is exactly. super smart. Doc B Do- and Kyle Wagenschutz. <laughs> Shout out to Doc B and Kyle. Um, so uh, you've been, you said four years, but I looked on your LinkedIn profile. It's actually nearly five, just so you know. February 1 is when I started. Uh, well, I, said, I said four years and eight months, so I suppose that would be about right. Okay. Uh, so I said Ben, just, you should know I always lie when it comes to numbers. <laughs> it comes to oh, age. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Not numbers, though. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, what's, what has most surprised you? After working here for five years? Four and a half. Five and three quarters. Um, Four and three quarters. What has surprised me the most about working here? I guess everything at People for Bikes has changed in the last four years. Every one of our programs is either new or improved. Mm -hmm. The team here is amazing. We have so many um, experts in their field of study and in their work that it's never been a better time to work here and that it's really exciting the programs that we're producing so that it's an entirely new organization in the last three to five years and it's really exciting time to see all of our programs launch and to sort of gain traction yeah absolutely so i i see that you went to the university of south dakota and you were homecoming queen oh embarrassing is that on there yeah I wouldn't have put it on my LinkedIn profile, but yes, I was homecoming queen. You're right. <laughs> I was, yeah. It was great. My sister was homecoming tw- queen as well. Is so, that a fact? Yeah. Are you from South Dakota? I am from, I love South Dakota. I'm from South Dakota. Uh, Spearfish, South Dakota was just named one of the best cities by Outside Magazine to mm-hmm. live in. One of, one of the best towns, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm from South Dakota. My family's still there. I love going home. My dad actually has, mom and dad have four miles of single track on the land that we grew up on. We have 120 acres with this really cute 
Firestill Creek that runs through it. And about five, maybe seven years ago, my dad put in four miles of single track. So when we go home, he's a big mountain biker. Uh-huh. We trail run, we mountain bike, we snowshoe in the winter. It's great. Excellent. Uh, is your picture anywhere, you know, of you as home, homecoming? <laughs> uh, embarrassingly, can... yes. My mom oh, really? has one and it's mortifying. Yeah. <laughs> big hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, thank you very much for your time today, Jen. Um, thank you for everything that People for Bikes does. Uh, if you need to connect with People for Bikes, peopleforbikes.org. Um, uh, I know Jen would encourage you to sign up for the newsletter, which uh, is right there on the homepage. You cannot cannot miss it. Uh, but thanks for all you, you guys do. Best of luck in this very challenging environment that we live in. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll bump into each other again soon. It was a privilege to be on. So thanks for having me. Uh, and thanks privilege. for giving a shout out to all of People for Bikes and our amazing team here in Boulder. Absolutely. No problem. Thanks, Thank Jen. You.